Welcome to Centered Subject, everyone. We are back in the new year, the year 2020. Even though I still feel a reluctance, I miss the one nine personally. I'm Elena and I miss, in fact, I miss just saying like 19 something, 1985 or something. But anyway, I'm Elena. This is Centered Subject. Um, I am here with my co-host Jenny. And by here, I'm in the internet, the liminal space, because I am, in fact, in Belarus. And Jenny, are you still in New York? I am. Um, but I'm very present in the liminal space. So. Yeah, yeah. We're liminal. Yeah. <laughs> We're mostly liminal. <laughs> We're just generally <laughs> liminal. The yeah. liminal generals. <laughs> I love a yeah. pun. Yeah. But yeah, here we are in 2020. This is our first episode. And because we're on the internet and also because it's this kind of binary zero to situation we thought we'd do in our first episode on the internet yeah. i personally was also partially inspired by the y2k memories oh yeah do you remember those yeah yeah uh i was not affected by that at all but do you remember it? Do you remember when it happened and like the strange hysteria? <laughs> I had no hysteria. I'm always kind of open to having a little bit of hysteria when it arrives, but no, I didn't care for some reason. Maybe because at that point I didn't really have a computer and I didn't have a uh, bank account. You know, it was just like, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't concrete to me. Deal. I don't know why yeah. it felt concrete. I think we just moved to the States. Um, so it was like my first year. And I think I was really, that was kind of the early days of, you know, internet being. We moved from Israel and we were in Houston and I was feeling really nostalgic for Jerusalem. And, you know, I was compulsively like fighting with my little brother to check the email. And so the computer had already like, kind of manifested that connectivity like trying to connect with friends you know and it was in this right. strange big texan city and so i think i wasn't feeling the hysteria i was sort of but i was very aware of it and was maybe slightly worried i was like oh i hope i hope the computer doesn't think it's 1900 because that was a big fear i guess <laughs> that somehow because the programs were written in the mid 20th century and people were only using the last two digits like so it was like 60 or 70 um i guess when things were going to switch out to 2000s um people were afraid that somehow all the computers will think that it's 1900 which would be so wonderful it would be so cute <laughs> it would be extremely cute but everyone was yeah. worried because you know banks and i don't know governments and things and they everyone apparently needs an accurate time and date apparently for things to function. Yeah. I wish, you know, I kind of wish for that now in a way, this thing of like fear of the internet itself, instead of just like trusting the internet entirely. Oh, like, yeah. you know, it's like we've gone the other direction now. But there is fear. There's like fear and trust. It's like there's dependency and fear. Maybe I think. I think there's fear of hacking. There's fear of people using mm. it in a bad way, but there's no fear of, it's like magical. There's no magical thinking really about the internet itself. No. Where that time, not really, that time, it's like everyone was like, didn't really know what like was going to happen. Like life will change beautifully because of the internet and they didn't know yeah. how, but they just knew that it would or something. Yeah. Or I don't know. We didn't understand what it was and what it could mm. do and what the technology was. And I feel like people have gotten a lot better at managing it and gone through lots of different incarnations of what the internet is and how it affects, you know, economies and social networks and 
different, um, you know, social systems. So they have, we have like way more confidence that it's not going to do crazy shit or have ghosts in it or something, you know? (laughs) Oh, you mean people with thinking supernatural things about it? That's what you meant? Yeah. And I think the Y2K thing is related to that. It's like, you know, they just didn't know what it was going to do. And I think it was, there was a newness. Yeah. Right. It hadn't been around for long long enough to mm-hmm. really be understood so it was like a strange new fruit yeah. um that yeah, people are just mechanism figuring out right yeah. it's true no yeah we're now in a really different time when the internet is really paramount it made everyone well also at that time everyone was a bit more anonymous using it using things anonymously there were all these like list serves and chat rooms but everyone would use an alias instead of being and now everyone is very personal everything is personalized and even i was thinking you know with the the new year and the and the christmas the holidays were just here how all the there were all these junky emails um from brands and they always you know call you by your name and then they wish you a great holiday (laughs) and it's (laughs) it's funny how it became so hyper personal that even yeah. Sort of instead of you being anonymous, the other anonymous entities kind of point you directly. Yes, that is nice. I like, yeah, that's clear. It's we like reversed places somehow. Yeah. Now they know who I am, but I don't yeah. quite, but they remain this strange edifices. Yeah, well, they're not real. They, they It's an uncanny they're kind not. of relationship. Yeah, and they're trying to make us trust them. So they're trying to humanize. They're trying to lure me with their pants. Uncanny <laughs> pants. Oh yeah, latest Those episodes pants. have been laced <laughs> with clothes. Yes, and and being like, you know, not exactly therapist, but being like, yeah, we heard what you said in, mm. you know, just offhandedly, and now we want to provide you with it. Like here, we yeah. kind of we know what you're thinking before you can say it. So right, it here is this object. Right, and now the internet also functions in a way where we predetermine kind of its interactions with us because the way that we kind of create our um, trail then it sort of suggests things that it thinks we might like um, and then we kind of enter into this infinite loop of um, kind of possible pleasure but we are not faced with things that um, I guess are surprising necessarily or outside of our immediate sort of circle mm-hmm. and just to think to think back also to um, the days when things were more random um, I was reading um, Hida Styrel book called Duty Free Art published in 2017 and I've been kind of reading it on and off since I bought it when it was published and I think like every few months I'll read a chapter mm-hmm. it's had this really calming effect on me anyway there's a nice quote I saved about chat roulette I don't know if do you remember chat roulette do people remember chat roulette um, yeah I do cool so okay so this is a quote about chat roulette This question first arose publicly in the so-called chat roulette conundrum. Chat roulette was a Russian online video service that allowed people to meet on the web. It quickly became famous for its next button, for which the term unlike button would be much too polite. The site's audience at first exploded to 1.6 million users per month by 2010, Mm. but then a so-called penis problem emerged. 
referring to the many people who use the service to meet other people naked. That is what I think when I think of chat roulette. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The naked boxes. And then she talks about, so there was like a contest and, you know, to sort of solve the problem. And the winner of a web contest called to solve the issue ingeniously suggested running a quick facial recognition or eye tracking scan on the video feeds. If no face was discernible, it would deduce <laughs> that it must be a dick. <laughs> but I love how it's that's like, totally what the internet's like. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, yeah. Mm. No face, dick. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's what everything's like. <laughs> I think it's true. <laughs> it's terrible. It's what I don't want it to be anymore. Every but, time I watch a movie, I'm like, is this a dick or a movie face. or a face? Is this a yeah. dick or is this? You know, when I read a book, I'm like, is this a dick or a face? Oh, good, it's a face. <laughs> Right. Yeah, politics, anything, anything. You can oh, make that binary. Definitely. I remember it, I was in, I was at School of the Arts and um, I was in this class called Integrated Media where we explored questions of technology. And I remember, you know, we had a class um, and we decided to like chat roulette at the class. And it was interesting. <laughs> I don't remember strangely. I think that maybe we didn't encounter any penises, oddly enough. I, I was well, hoping. I was hoping. Yeah. Oh, you think it was? No, no. Because I was, do you think they filtered, they already filtered them out? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had already done that, that technology, mm. that filter. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing. I And I think that's a really nice way to characterize the transitions of the internet because we were talking about this and and talking about this with lots of other friends about what the internet was like at the very beginning when yeah. it was social and it was this innocent place and encountering kind of randoms in a way you know now you sort of encounter your network and the encountering of the randoms as the internet continued on through time it the randoms got more fucked up over time and mm. you had more and more disturbing experiences but and like just like this army of penises just started to arrive you know and but it was <laughs> Before, before, before anybody figured out that that was a thing or that they could do that, it was a little bit more, it definitely did feel more innocent. And I remember there were times when you had to kind of skip through the stones of the internet to find the place where it was safe and you could talk to nice people, but there weren't that many scary places. You could go into some chat rooms and someone would be creepy and you couldn't tell. Mm you know, like how old they were, if they were pretending to be like a teenager, but they weren't, but it wasn't this like sense that that army was just going to show up at any time or we were all like, hmm. you know, in danger. Well, I think like, also because image wasn't maybe so easy right. to transmit, there were, there were sort of more, there were kind of more steps to take. You had to have maybe right. a camera and then it had to, you had to connect the cord to the computer and then upload the image. You know, I think there's an immediacy that we, um, enjoy i don't know is it the right word no we're confronted with um right now with technology that we have which was absent mm -hmm. at the time so charlotte was right. kind of um i guess that was the first foray into right. into that sharing of body parts yeah and then it makes it it's more it's like more interesting for them or something to want to do that and well, then yeah. easier right because then people just like the, they like to expose themselves as well yeah. <laughs> yeah wait what is the term for that isn't there a term for that it's in the dsm but i don't want to go get it and look okay, it up no, but right. it's like a whole thing yeah it's sure it's like an edward gory situation i imagine 
Just like someone, the jacket. Someone just really <laughs> wanting to, opening the jacket. It's quite common. Showing what's there. Yeah, I do, I do feel like, I mean, I know I can remember a time when I did not think about that as being connected to the internet. Like this mm. feeling that it's just like crammed with dicks. Like I don't, yeah. I remember thinking of it like it wasn't this and I remember like making websites and just like putting things doing like really rudimentary html and just like as a 16 year old or a younger person or something and just like placing videos you know in a in a field of digital space you know for my website that I was creating yeah it was so cute it was just like this very open territory well yeah it feels like if you think of it as kind of um bird's eye view it really felt like kind of like an ocean and then there are all these little islands you know like personal websites and things but now it's more like the strange mega cities like super clusters um you can find everyone in within these like networked spaces Mm -hmm. in different channels and and contexts yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. and money flowing through it and then you don't feel there's something about the beginning when, when you, you compare felt, oh, each other, you sort of compare yeah. to each other and, and how right, life measures right. up. And well, also like you felt, I felt kind of alone, the island metaphor. Mm. Like I felt alone, but then it was really fun. It was like this like tin can with a string, like to another person's mm. island. And it felt really intimate. And then yeah. you could link like the idea of linking, right? Like you could link right. to other friends and yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 83. And so I think when when my house got the internet, my family's house got the internet, um, it was kind of like the first wave or second wave of family homes getting access um, through dial-up connection uh, to very early public-facing internet. And, uh, of course, I remember the awful screeching noises and horrible um, sound of the computers communicating um, that sounds, I guess, kind of like a fax machine for a contemporary reference. And, you know, I guess I I remember a few web pages and kind of like early web pages, but the early internet for me was more about chatting and communication. And there was a platform called IRC, Internet Relay Chat, and you would log on to a server through the MIRC software. And then on that server would be kind of different groups or rooms that you could join. And I really remember loving the freedom of this kind of, of chatting with strangers. These weren't people that you would know, or you, but maybe there was like some common interest. Um, maybe it was a, about a game or um, some music that you all were interested in. So you would join a server and join a room and, and talk about it. And it was outside of capitalism to some extent. And in order to be in that internet that we were in, you had to have a relative amount of privilege too, I have to add. Mm, Or you had to have yeah, you had to have like money and it wasn't it wasn't part of the economy. So it was just this fun kind of external thing to do. And it was like an experiment. But it was outside of the economy. So you were free, you weren't necessarily controlled by the larger world you know i think that's why people started making the websites because it was just Mm -hmm. on the internet it wasn't like through these other like providers like aol or whatever that were trying to like monetize that and control people Mm -hmm. it was like wow we're free yeah that was really cool i miss that a lot but then there were these moments where people would start um 
they would start off in some sort of, I mean, there was still, I think the idea of like a network space, like, you know, kind of um, a gathering space, I think was there kind of from the beginning because still there were yeah. these, you know, maybe there were, there were geosites, right? So there was probably like an archive of geosites and then there was like other like blogging platforms, right? Like sure, Live Journal yeah. and, you know, sometimes you would, we used to have Live Journals, right? Yeah. And that was, was awesome. really fun. But sometimes you would sort of, go through this but people were anonymous you know you just read their musings but then you sometimes through comments you know sometimes somehow you would exchange information then you would like have these long conversations and get to know people um over private chat so you did it felt very very content based right somehow like more so than now Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because also it was not um, on the same platform. You'd have to like get off one platform to like use mm-hmm. another platform to communicate, like email or chat. Right. Um, I remember having like yeah, I had this a few months of this, this really romantic correspondence with some person I met that like had a really different life. Um, with the doctor with children, or maybe, no, maybe he didn't have children. Then they came later. But somehow, anyway, we just I guess it was in Houston, and he was also from Belarus, but living in Boston. And somehow, through like even though it was in English, our live journals, somehow we came across each other, and anyway, started chatting elsewhere. And it was really, it was just like a really interesting space of getting to know someone intimately. But I don't think we'd ever exchanged photographs or really had anything beyond the text it was kind of an ideal epistolary relationship yeah i know i had one of those too it's it was so beautiful. nice yeah it was really poetic and beautiful yeah we um my thing was i was in high school and i was like studying buddhism really intensely and meditating all the time as a 17 year old mm-hmm. and so this guy was putting sutras like buddhist who was also engaged in buddhism in the same way was like putting all these buddhist sutras up and I think I just found the sutras and then I emailed him randomly as a stranger about something else. So we traded sutras, which is kind of interesting from a Buddhist perspective because mm. it's like these ancient poly, like they're ancient writings. We're basically like trading Bible verses or something back and forth. Right, I was about to say, yeah, you're like trading quotes essentially. Like these very long screeds from this ancient voice, you know, but like in these, so he would send these files and then I would print them out on my dad's printer, you know, in this like, you know, curry or new font of these like ancient, and there were many pages of them Mm. and we would study them together uh, or talk about them and then write these really long emails back and forth. And it was true. It was like the same, like I didn't really want to see him. Mm Mm-hmm. But I desperately wanted to know more about what his day-to-day life was like. Mm, yes. And then, like, he per- he personalized over time. But it was definitely structured within this, like, what was it like for us to practice Buddhism in our own homes? He was, like, in Virginia mm. at, or in our home worlds. And yet we're engaged in this kind of ancient practice. And not many, like, the Buddha- American Buddhism itself was kind of in this infantile state at that point where it was, like, getting more structured and things. So it was, it did feel, in the same way, kind of, um, I don't know, like, like pioneering. and yeah, yeah, it felt kind of random. And, and there, were, there weren't cultures and there weren't, like, factions. And mm. it was just developing. It was really nice. And, man, did you, so you, did you meet that person? Ever? No, I didn't. But I was just thinking about what was the, actually the content of the connecting points. When No, never met. But I think actually now we're friends on Facebook or something like that. And I, yeah. and it's, it's kind of sad. I wish that it hadn't really 
traverse that boundary, you know, and remained a bit mysterious, you know. Mm. Um, but I think, but at the time, it just was, it was also it was a really difficult period in my life. My dad, I think I started talking to him when my dad was um, diagnosed with cancer, and then he died. Um, and then, you know, we just continued talking. And it was just a, it was kind of a really emotional outlet of, the things we discussed, I think, were, I mean, some of them were just kind of just emotional tribulations, I think, um, of, you know, living, I think, just living a life in the States while having this kind of a mixed kind of post-Soviet perspective, um, yeah. you know, kind of slightly nostalgic. I mean, it was also like what, like mid to mid-aughts, so it was mm-hmm. kind of recent. I think it was sort of more recent that we were living in this other country and I think some of it was related to that and then we had this kind of cultural um cultural interest like he introduced me to Uli Po which is a French um it was kind of a literary um movement um based mm. in constraint and in France and then you know we discussed films and so we kind of had this like a bit of like a 1960s francophile thing going and it was just really nice, nice. you know it would like really take me out of this kind of pain of figuring out life without my father into this other kind of conceptual like purely mental space um it was really really nice and support i mean he was a supportive person and a consistent person exactly yeah and it was just and also that he didn't have i think because he didn't have any other kind of sundry mundane things about it you know so it was Mm -hmm. able to remain this oh my god same yeah you know there's no logistical like oh you were late to meet or like you didn't text me or you know somehow it just it it had like it's very slow pace of of just being Mm -hmm. like an email exchange every now and then anyway it just had a really nice um consistency that was also quite mild um, that I find lacking now because everything is so intense and you can see when somebody read your message or didn't read your message or they're online or, you know, right. did they message you on this platform or, you know, did they WhatsApp you or did they I just, you know, I think especially with my latest like Tinder adventures, it's, it's just it feels so different. It, yeah. It's very, it's like, I don't know quite what it is, but it's, it's way more hyper reactive where mm-hmm. that had a slower pace and was like not quite reactive. I mean, it was, I remember being like, Oh my God, did he email? He didn't email. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know? But it was a lot more, it was like over two or three days. And then the letters themselves were really long and intense. And, yeah. and I guess in both cases, and very, it took two days for me to fully understand what was written and then to fully respond because yeah. what we were doing was so deep and, and so meaningful to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's what, and that's so crazy in a way that it was very easy for both of us to find another person that we can engage with in this way, very mm-hmm. like intellectually, but also very intimately, mm-hmm. you know, with such depth. Uh, and I guess that's a thing that ex- I'm sure that exists for people now on the internet or people, young people in the same way, but yeah, people, I don't know. They were very right. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it does to an extent. I think there was mm-hmm. that, um, recently these stories about that, that Instagram personals, um, mm. um, I think for queer, for queer women. Yeah. 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 And that sort of made it a, into its own kind of service or app or something, but it started with like this kind of just text based, um, I should look up what it's called and I'll, I'll link it in the, in the description, right. but yeah, yeah it was just text kind of, so like not, back. yeah, exactly. So it was just kind of quite like the old personals and, um, no image and very much kind of um, trying to kind of be a community for people of you know 
um, that share certain. I will. I will say that we met. Me and this guy met eventually, mm. and but and we dated sort of. So by the time we met, though, we had built an entire person that mm. we were like in love with in yes. the other person. Right. And it was huge. And I had been carrying him around in my life for year, for like two years or something. Mm-hmm. And then when we met, it was actually kind of tragic. Of because course. And there was no precedent for this at this point because yes. it was like very much the beginning of the internet. So it was like, I felt so such loss of this a person that I imagined. Of course. And I could tell that he felt such loss of the person he had imagined in me. And then, but then we were excited because it was like, we met each other and it was fun and he's cute. And, you know, it was like, it was cool, but. But your character, the character that you imagined, you know, forever in novel that in that narrative that you've created, he only existed in the mind. Yes. And we had not had any relational challenges of any sort, right? So those quotidian everyday. No personal, yeah, no facial expressions. So we didn't know how to treat each other. And we were a body after all. I mean, the body Mm -hmm. comes in. Yeah. The internet and the body. The smell. There's no smell on the internet. We have a special guest. Uh, Steven Van Dyke is with us today. Hello. Hello. Hi, Steven. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having in me. In the ether of the internet. <laughs> Steven's with us today because the topic of today's show episode is the internet and well, the internet for many reasons, but I think being embodied in the age of the internet is a recurring topic that we've been grappling here on Centered Subject. And um, Stephen, it so happens, had recently published a book, and it is called People I've Met from the Internet. It's um, on Ricochet Editions, is that right? Yes, yeah, Ricochet Editions. Stephen and I have known each other for a while, I guess, isn't it almost like 10 years or something like that? Um, We overlapped. It might be longer. Maybe longer, right? Because we're collaged together. and so I've been privy a bit to um, Stephen's writing for a while, and it, I feel like you've been delving into this situation of kind of all of us being disparate bodies, but kind of communicating um, for a while. <laughs> and so I feel that Stephen is quite an expert on the topic, and the writing is really wonderful. Yeah. Tell us about your book. Well, it's... A list of everyone I met in person from the internet between 1997 and 2009. Well, it starts out as a list and then it repeats and the list itself is annotated and the annotations um, range in length and they form a kind of novel except that it's entirely true. Mm. Almost all of the content in the annotations takes place in person. Mm. Um, it's not really about the like talking online. It's about the actual meetings themselves. Yeah, but you encounter people first through the internet for the most part? Yes, yeah. So everybody is, is I in some way, communicated with them first online. And um, I mean, that's also in there, but it's often it's about it's also about like our first meetings. Yeah. And so I guess there's a thing that is kind of always present of like 
the way that it feels to meet somebody mm-hmm. in person when you've when the context of your connection is like some internet connection. Right. And it, it also seems that it is somehow bracketed also by um there are these other kind of references of uh, of like media or music often it seems like mm-hmm. at least from from what I've read. So it also kind of just adds the cinematic quality I think to these meetings, but also just this kind of media files creating the setting for Sometimes your names, right? Like the, your online name sort of com- comes out of a song. Right, right. There's a lot of that, yeah. Right, and then there's this kind of soundtrack also, like the kind of musical references that kind of go throughout those meetings as well, like what people played, what music they played, what, and, or like their later Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah, yes, totally. And then another thing, that happens a lot is my character. See, it's it's me, but mm. I, I don't know. My character, who's me, <laughs> uh, often like watches movies for the first time through these meetings, and mm. like seems to be somebody who never otherwise watches movies. And um, yeah, the music references are pretty consistent throughout. Yeah, I guess this blurring of of this memoiristic and. I guess, and, and these fictional references with films and and these other stories of the songs. It's really poetic. I can't wait to read the book. But I was wondering how, I mean, it, it just seems like that's such a large part of our life now, um, meeting people from the internet yes, or, or just knowing them. Or I feel like the internet, just what happens on the internet is just, it sort of becomes, it's a kind of events. You see something on the internet and then, it's it's did you see it it's it's kind of hard to tell whether you've seen it you've seen it in real life i mean it is real you know but it's not really an event but then it sort of yeah takes place there right well everything has names that sound like real things like shopping cart or mailbox or yeah that's so true (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's all just like some code yeah. Oh, I had a bizarre Russian, so I'm in the Russian language sphere right now. And today um, I came across this poem and it used, um, it, it used the word in Russian, klikniti, um, which also in Russian sounds like, you know, they've adapted the English um, word click and then they conjugate it. So it sounds like someone, but it's in an old poem. It's like a 19th century poem. And I was like, how on earth? How on earth are they talking about <laughs> clicking things? And then I realized that what they actually meant, there's another, there's like a Russian word that means like, kind of like, make a loud sound to, to get everyone's attention. Um, and it was the same word. Oh. Isn't it so odd? I was really shocked by it. Can you say that again? Because I missed that part. Make the Russian. So there, there's an old Russian meaning of the word that sounds exact. It's a homonym for click, basically, in Russian. But the homonym oh. in Russian means make a loud noise to call everyone's attention. You know, it's like scream, let oh, out wow. a, like a really loud yelp so that everyone will like look at you, huh. you know, and maybe follow you. But like embodiedly. 
they will like actually wow. maybe follow you into battle or something. But it also sounds the same now as like <laughs> clicking, you know, like clicking a button. Right. Click this link. They have enough overlap in their meaning that it almost seemed like it meant to click. Yes, exactly. It was very bizarre. That's so weird. It's so surreal. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it really blurred the line between like the internet <laughs> and big physical action Whoa. somehow. I know. Language can really do that. It's like those pictures from like the 1920s of people that look like they're on a cell phone. Yes. Oh, I love those. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Those are really charming. I hope that the next generation yeah. will be quite confused as to whether they're actually holding a cell phone or not. Probably will happen like a few generations down the line, you know? <laughs> they they themselves will be confused? Well, I think they'll just not, if they look at the image, they won't have that feeling. Like now we know that because 19, 1920s were just 100 years old, like 100 years ago. So we know that oh. cell phones weren't around, but maybe people in 100 years, they will just right. not, they'll, it'll be blurry. They'll be like, was the cell phone invented in 1920s and 1990s? Who knows? It's, you know, sometime right. in the 20th century. And That's like, yeah. When I was a kid, when I was a kid watching Happy Days, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that it was like one time looking back at another time. Yeah. I just thought they were in that time because it's all it was all so much farther ago from me than they were to the time they were referencing. Yeah. I've totally been there. <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is confusing. So these memories um, that you notate in your book, they are from a while ago, right? I mean, oh yeah. I mean, again, I haven't written the entire. I haven't read the entire book, but from the excerpts, um, concerned the earlier period of your life, sort of like high school thereabouts. Yes, yeah. AOL. It ends in two thousand nine. Oh, okay. So CalArts is in the book. Oh, I see. Quite a bit. Okay, I have to get uh, to that. I look forward to reading it. <laughs> <laughs> um and i even tom leeser um, oh my god this is a professor <laughs> of, it's exciting <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is about an earlier time in my life and i think it's true that i think you know while it's relevant today it still is also more true to that time than the current time mm. well the internet has changed I feel like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it also felt the whole time, even all the way into the late 2000s decade, it felt kind of like a weird experiment. And I think now it feels like there are tr- like traditions yes. and it's not weird. And I don't know. I've told people like, oh, this this is what my book is about. And they're like, Oh yeah, like we're all meeting people on the internet, oh. and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, yeah. no. This was in like 1997, all the way to 2009, and I think another thing is that in that time period, like gay people really used the internet, mm. like for dating, right? Um, and I think everyone else sort of, well, I should say queer people because yeah. there are a lot of a lot of trans people using the internet. Mm-hmm. And I think now um, it's caught up to everybody, and right. there's t- there's Tinder yeah. and of course <laughs> um, 
but then it seemed it seemed very like everything was kind of I don't know it was gay <laughs> yeah it seems like it was sort of an important way of kind of facilitating these meetings between people that you know in kind of I guess like a heteronormative land especially of the 90s actually I wasn't even here in yeah. the 90s I don't know what I know but it seems very like heteronormative America yeah I guess I only knew America from TV back in, in those days but <laughs> somehow it feels that way no right everyone is doing it now I was doing it a bit. I think like the straight world viewed meeting online in that time period, even up to the end of the 2000s decade, like it was only for like desperate people. Mm. And then I think that shifted around the time the book ends. Interesting. Yeah. But if, if the book were to keep going and continue to chronicle my meetings I think it would just turn into a really boring book like hmm. job interviews and like students who contacted me before the semester right. began right it's <laughs> so true yeah everything is so yeah has become so sort of sterilized um and I think a lot there's like now a lot of attachment to your actual name versus mm. kind of anonymity of the past I love all the screen names of the older men. This is this <laughs> excerpt. This NM Rimmer, ABQ top for you. Anyway, it's hard to it's hard to read it and give it just give the spelling justice. But yeah, it's it's really good. Um, these kind of short haikus of identities that people would develop. It's really interesting. <laughs> it's really it's also like I love I love that. Yeah, like things. I mean, just kind of things that come from the internet and. It's really nice to to sort of read this, you know, people really kind of expanding into into humans and events from these yeah. short, you know, terms, <laughs> language terms that they pick for themselves. Well, there was this moment in 1999 when AOL allowed usernames to be up to 16 letters and, and oh, wow. numbers instead of just 10. <laughs> wow. Do you remember people changing names and they like were expand, getting longer and longer? Yeah, they really did like expand in many senses. Like <laughs> you could communicate so much more in 16 yeah. digits than in 10. <laughs> right. Yeah. I imagine. Would you read us apart from your book to contextualize our discussion well this this goes with the talking about the like early internet like the 90s internet mm -hmm. um so this is justin username stinky bird aol chat room march 1998 albuquerque new mexico my short description of our meeting my mother drove us to the movies his age, 16, met three times. Justin's screen name was an achievement, with AOL's 10-letter limit. Getting a name without numbers or misspellings was hard to do, and names like Stinky Bird stood out. The majority of M4M chatroom screen names were some combination of their name, location, a word synonymous with male, some part of their identity that could be fetishized, a sex act or position, an impressive body part, a synonym for attractive, or their age or some arbitrary numbers. 
Names like Stinky Bird seemed to imply that they wanted to converse or have a non-sexual connection instead of or in addition to sex. I wondered if the guys with sexual names had a second non-sexual screen name, and if so, whether it was because they were actually adults with their own AOL accounts, or was it because they were closeted? If the non-sexual named guys were mo more likely to be out, was it because they were more obviously gay? Or maybe they had more accepting families, which could also mean that they themselves were more liberal, more non-religious, more educated. On the other hand, they might be less techy if they only figured out how to make the one name. Many assumptions could be made. I waited all evening for Stinky Bird to appear in my buddy list, and when he did, I double-clicked immediately. Justin, who hoped to become a makeup stylist, had dyed blonde, curly hair, a medium brown complexion, and a nasally voice. He was about 5'6 and very skinny. My mother drove us to a movie thinking Justin was a friend from school, which was basically true. Once a boy from Denver sent me his photo in the mail, which I hid between two free wellness planners my parents didn't want. My mother would reorganize all my belongings when I wasn't home. Some of my possessions would disappear completely. So when his yearbook picture and letter disappeared, I was sure she found she had found them. This was at least a year before my mother pounded on my door, entered my bedroom, paused, then erupted. Stephen, are you a homosexual? Her tone told me there was a right and a wrong answer. I looked her in the eye and said, no. Are you sure? I said, yes, I was sure. My mother told me many times that if a homosexual man tried to hurt me, she would beat the shit out of him. And then that annotation keeps going, and it's oh. mostly about my mother. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's hearing you read it as well, it just makes it so, um, so scary, scary. And oh, I'm sorry. That, w that sounds like a really <laughs> hard experience. Um, <laughs> congratulations on surviving and writing this book. Oh. And <laughs> just, yeah, that's, that's so hard. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, mm. there are a lot of hard hard moments in the book. It's kind of interesting because some people's reactions are like, "Wow, your book is so funny," oh. and then other people's reactions are like, "I got a text message, it's like Stephen, I read your book and I just want to give you a hug." <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's a sign of a very good thing when it, you know, something that makes you like laugh and cry at the same time. I think that's, um, that's the achievement. <laughs> I think that's what, that's the ultimate. Right. I think I didn't realize how upsetting it was. I think that was mm. the surprising, uh, layer for me. I think the humor was more clear to me. Yeah. Emotions. <laughs> Yeah, interesting how that is, yeah. And I think probably also when you live with events for a long time, you have a different kind of a, a different perspective on them maybe, but... Yeah, I think that's really it, yeah. Well, thank you for joining it, this centered subject, and um, 
Yeah, reading from your book, it was really moving. Um, and I'm so excited to read it when I get back to LA in two weeks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to more of the podcast myself. <laughs> <laughs> It was 1996, I was 13 years old, and my good friend Katie had dial-up internet at her house. So I would ask my mom if I could go over to her place after school, and we'd rollerblade till we had enough, till the smog invaded our lungs, go inside, fire up the modem, the loudest dial-up sound in the world, and... I think, we, I think we would make sure that there weren't any adults around because we would immediately go into the AOL chat rooms. We probably had some ridiculous screen name with 69 in it. We used to like, I guess kind of catfish, really. I don't remember trying to be older than, you know, 16, but we definitely, we definitely played around with the anonymity and, and I don't even know if we did any like gender bending stuff, but yeah, it was really fun and we would just like giggle our asses off. But yeah, I think now it's confusing because it's, it doesn't develop towards, you know, becoming real in each other's life. It does have that like going, coming from the internet, like an ocean again, like coming up from the internet and then being real for a second and then going back down, you know, into the internet. Even when they know each other as, as people in the world, in the physical world and not just the internet world, we still have trouble understanding each other's objectives and desires. So, of course, oh, when it's multiplied by... I just think like there's just something about the all these writing that we do now is mm -hmm. just so utterly confusing because we're just mm -hmm. everyone is a kind of engages in literary criticism in a way you know <laughs> they parse <Yeah>. the comma yeah. <laughs> they, they parse the period the like the precise use of the word and the it's just very strange yeah what well, what do you mean like in social media or in or just like the internet culture is. I think is just a, both in social culture. media and like an exchange between people, um, mm -hmm. and I think also like in larger in a larger sense of there should just be more conversation. There's something so nice about the conversation. Of course, we're recording ours now, so it will stay on the internet forever. But mm -hmm. you just let the words out, and then they they just fade into the air. You know, you can't mm -hmm. look them over and over again. They don't just remain right. like a monument and we're surrounded by all these kind of archives archives of fleeting yeah. thoughts archives and so we're both forced to consider them very seriously when somebody does when someone else writes them when we write them you know people also get very picky and petty about like the use of language they're like i can't believe you use the word we've created a brand like a culture that exists very robustly in a certain way to me it feels like right after the um gutenberg press and a lot of like yeah. the beginning of journalism where there was just like really furious use of journalism and in a way it was hyper literate you know mm. or in a way it was hyper uh, aware and and a lot of people were reading and sharing things um in the same way yeah but yeah it was warring it, the the level of of like gossip and like tearing down people's identities and like just doing really horrible things was was pretty similar mm -hmm. but it was then it was sort of the the emergence of the free press you know so i'm not sure 
it's like it's a thing that happens, you know, when people communicate is you, it gets really rough and disturbing because we're a tribal culture and we war against one. And I think it's because of the immediacy, obviously, like if you get a letter, you know, and in, in paper form and you read it and mm. something like, you know, you're you're feel a bit weird about a passage, you know, you like write a clarifying letter back or something, you know, but now mm. if it's text and it comes and it's confusing, right. you just shoot one back and then, you know, That's right. the confusion just escalates immediately and everyone gets upset and then everyone apologizes. And apologies, I think, are terrible for the most part as well because yeah. they actually don't, they kind of try to placate people, but they, people, yeah. then people who apologize actually I feel agree. bad about having to apologize and then, it actually doesn't get anyone anywhere, and we like just. Ugh. Well, because things are moving so quickly, the apology is the apology isn't that real either. Yeah. So it's like the pace the pace of interaction has sped up, the pace of reactivity has sped up. Everyone is sort of spending so much time digesting material at quickly that they're not actually apologizing, they're not actually assessing. There isn't, you know. I think there's a big movement now for people to slow down and to disengage from their phones and you know not react to people so quickly but i think that we're a very addicted culture right now to like mm -hmm. reaction and that is how the technology was designed that's how the economy was designed so that we would react quickly we would buy quickly take a in fact like i've i've read some things about like the the capitalist systems are about taking away moments of choice from people mm -hmm. so it's like giving them yeah. less time to to decide not Fully. to buy the thing. So it's so shortening this reaction time is yeah. in benefit to this, to the economic system. But yeah, it is to a detriment to the social system, right? Because humans do need to calm down and talk about stuff with other people yeah. maybe before they return and, or even just talk to themselves. Yeah. yeah. There was something I read, um, something happening in the UK. Well, they, they had an initiative a few years ago, I think when they were trying to encourage people to just talk to each other, but on this, you know, on the tube, mm. which seems really funny mm. because it's a bit loud, you know, and like the train is hurtling through. I think it failed. But, oh, really? But I think it's interesting that, um, well, people don't talk to each other sort of as much, you know, when kind yeah. of just with their voice. There's so much, well, everyone is busy mm. and a lot of exchanges, I think, happen through writing now. Right. People are unpracticed in like social discourse. Uh, they're unpracticed in this kind of discourse and forming sentences mm. and just striking up these random conversations. It's it feels threatening now, you know, if you actually mm -hmm. use your voice mm -hmm. or if you like address someone you don't quite you don't quite know. Right. I I have like I definitely have experiences of that hanging out with people in their twenties that I've that I'm around sometimes in my grad school. Yeah. And, um, and then I have memories of hanging out with like my great aunt and my grandmother who were from this very porch sitting culture where it was like, you had to engage in long mm -hmm. conversations and there were these very constructed social rules of how you engaged. Yeah. And it was like, um, interacting with someone, even that you didn't know very well, was like, a was like a pastime. Like it was treated like it was really yeah. fun. It was always really fun to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. And they had all these fun jokes and like little banters that they would say <laughs> to each other, which is, I guess, what we do on the internet to some extent. But like, you know, putting out little, I don't know, memes or jokes or whatever. Um, but then, yeah, the kids in school, I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty shy and with people I don't know very well in like public situations or whatever. But I do have this sense from them. There's this saving of the of the personal self, 
And there isn't much of that presentational public self there. Mm-hmm. It's very thin. When I talk to them, there isn't much like, I might be just like from the South, but I have this sense that it's like, there isn't a lot of talking to people if you don't know them. Yeah. And then once you do get to know them, they don't let out their their real self for a very long time. Mm. It's interesting. Well, because we're we have to also we have to perform so much today. We really have to. Mm. Um, the performance yeah. of everyday life is really kind of permeated every aspect of our being. We have to be have a like a chiseled public face. Mm. I think people, you know, will ask you like if you have Instagram rather than a website now. And they'll then they'll look what you're tagged in and right. and they'll Google you. <laughs> and then they looked at you LinkedIn. So I think there's just this um you're just a, a really fenced in kind of by by these ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and I think we've always had ideas of who we are, right? And, right. and versus just and being ourselves and, and social groups. But now these things are so somehow tangible and they're ever present and you can mm-hmm. never shut them off. You also can you also have very little control over them in a way. Like, you know, something right. ends up on the internet and then it's and it's just kind of right. there, you know, or you can see yeah. like an old version of it, like a cachet or something, you know, like it just, there's just this kind of, so you just never feel maybe quite free out, you know, and outside of this like yeah. gaze, um, a judging gaze mm-hmm. that is really your gaze in a way that you're sort of assigning to other people. But we kind of just live in this mm. moment of having to have Instagrammable lives or like thinking how, right. how it will look yeah. to you know, to some the larger world, larger mm-hmm. world to like a future employer or like, you know, a potential partner. Yeah. We've all been required to become PR agents of ourselves. Kind of. Yeah. Everyone's a brand and everyone's a content producer. And so it's just, yeah, kind of just a difficult, I've, I've t- I have tired of it. <laughs> it's very tiring because you have to manage a lot of things. You really have to, like, it's like everyone had the TV yeah. show or something, you know, I know we also have a podcast <laughs> and you know me with my, my authenticity issues. I know. It's, it's just really kind of like, yeah, and then just yeah, he, human contact, and, and also I think with the holidays as well. Like I realized this year, and you know, and I'm away, so I was feeling so I was feeling a bit lonely and post this kind of um, another. I mean, another romantic heartbreak. Oh wait, I was broke. I had a joke about it because it was everything happened in this neighborhood called broccoli, broke broccoli which sounds like broccoli so um i was a bit broccoli hearted <laughs> anyway but i was here in belarus and it was new year's which is our big holiday like it's like the christmas of the post-soviet lands and people didn't really no one like really texted me or emailed me and i was just feeling really lonely and then you know i looked on instagram and everyone is sort of just posting things and i was like oh everyone is just you know, no one does the kind of personal thing yeah. anymore. People are just doing these generic shout outs to everyone about themselves, yeah. you know, and so everyone What's is just up? the kind of loudspeaker, basically, you know? Yeah. I just want the matchbox, true. the matchbox, the matchbox conversation. Anyway, I, yeah. I, was, I was a bit saddened by it. I agree. I'm just all kinds of old and nostalgic, apparently, now. <laughs> I miss the human. We're all cobots now. Yeah, we kind Inter- of are. Integrated with machines. We are. There is a theory that we are, bec- our brains are restructured by the engagement with these. So that means that the robots have won. Yeah. Like, I find I it fun to talk have. about yeah. science fiction with anybody. Because I'm like, we are it. We are in science fiction now. Like yes, Our brain are. structures are just dis- defined by our robots. People are always expecting robots to be, you know, shaped like robots from, like, 
from images and stories from science fiction, they've just taken a different form. You know, there's just less visible. It's an algorithm of the kind of a robot. And the computer's a robot. The telephone's a robot. And they have come and they have taken over. They just don't have legs. And so, or like proper faces. Um, or dicks. Isn't that brilliant of them? Very. They don't need bodies. They don't need bodies. They do, don't need them. Don't need them at all. Oh, it's so fun to have a body, though. I hope we don't it forget. Is. I'm trying not to forget. I'm in, I've enjoyed oh, I've been being walking, embodied. I've been walking along the river. It's been nice. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of the future of the internet? Uh, well, I'm concerned because my nephews are small and the internet is big and the internet is big. That's exactly it. And I'm trying to just figure out what it's going to be like for them. And I guess I'm concerned, um, but they do run around outside most of the time, you know, Mm -hmm. they, and they don't have social, social networks online. That's true. Not yet. Uh, Nor do their parents really. So it's, you know, well, the internet might break. It is a bunch of cables, you know? Mm. Well, I guess in satellites as well. Should the Third World War really happen, it's possible that we'll be released from the internet. No, it's not really actually possible. Sorry. That is a great question, though. Like, if we're going into, if we're going into more difficult times, like, what will happen to the internet, you know, mm. in, a, in a climate crisis? Or what will happen? People localize it, you know? People sort of contain it more. I think that might be yeah. something that happens. So it becomes less global and becomes this kind of local network. I mean, mm-hmm. China's doing, you know, China has like a version. Russia's trying to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So there are these kind of, so you're not dependent on these global structures. And then they're easier to control again. And like information's easier to control. Yeah. Right. We might at some point be these dinosaurs that remember the wild geocytes. Probably we will be if we live long enough. The wild geocytes. No, I'm just thinking about dinosaurs being on the internet, and it's kind of a <laughs> there <are> many <laughs> stupid, stupid far side comic from 1998 oh. that someone put up on it. <laughs> yeah, 1998. <laughs> three would have had to end already mm, the we'll revolution see. would have happened already maybe we're amidst it nah, I don't know maybe it will happen five years later it's interesting to be here though I was um, you know Belarus is st- still has a lot of architecture from after World War II basically you know it was it was um, pretty much leveled um, the, the Nazi army entered through Belarus so it was very much like destroyed by the war and then it was rebuilt in the kind of last period of Stalin's reign so it had a lot of these kind of neoclassical buildings with a lot of kind of communist insignias and there's a lot of Lenins still standing and there's this one Lenin that stands in the park and I was walking in the park you know being sad about my brokely heartedness and I then I see Lenin and then I see a nice large bouquet of artificial flowers with a bow on it and the bow says to Vladimir Ilyich Lenin from the communist of Polotsk. It was really sweet. So it's like quite recent. They're still out there, the communists. They're still into it. And it's really I don't know, it's it's and like they still love him. It's so sweet because it's it's almost thirty years since the Soviet Union collapsed and somehow but it's still like a bit Soviet here somehow and but also like a bit capitalist and and somehow these two realities overlap in this really moving touching way 
How so? Because people kind of act in this egalitarian way, and the country seems well. There's just a lot of remnants of the former, the former life. You know, there are all these like hammer and sickle bar reliefs on the buildings. You know, there. So there's these kind of architectural reminders of the past, and then I mean. Politsk had a lot of older people. Um, I think younger people moved to the capital city, which is Minsk, and like Moscow and other places. So it had a lot of older people, which you know have, you know, um, had lived through Soviet days. And they have yeah. this kind of approach. I've mentioned it before, but if you like go into a store and you're trying to buy something, they'll be like, oh, here, buy this. This is just as good, but cheaper. You know, there's this kind of like awareness mm-hmm. of everyone's economic reality um, yeah. that people kind of they kind of look out for each other or sometimes you know they will like people will just start reminiscing about the soviet days randomly like in some situation where you're like buying some sausage and then all of a sudden somehow you're talking about like what sausage was like in like 1986 i don't know so you know there's just this kind of like reminders but then at the same time it's like also like very obviously people like trying to make money and then you know they have their like little businesses and of course there's this um, bus stop that my mom the, her first my mom was an architect and her first design was this bus stop for the the biggest industry here was this kind of um, fiberglass plant and this is a bus stop for the fiberglass factory and the bus stop is still there um, she designed it in 1970s so it had this concrete this particular kind of brutalist charm and still has the 70s lettering and it's still there, but, you know, the factory no longer functions as a factory. Um, it's just things have changed so much. But but so there are these kind of moving historical moments that are, I guess, related yeah. to my personal history and that are really sad and touching. I kind of want to yeah. cry a lot when I walk around here, but I also mm-hmm. feel very grounded because yeah. I was born here. Homeland. Homeland. Motherland. Yes, and uh, also communicating through the internet right now through the mm-hmm. form of pod of pod, which we didn't mention as a no. as like a I, I maybe you know maybe and I think this is probably true the the format the rise of the podcast mm. is in relation to the lack of text community I mean the preponderance of text communication the need for auditory interact, maybe the need for social interaction, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe something about people enjoying listening to podcasts has to do with that, that lack of social, deep social engagement, Mm -hmm. you know, that we have in society, you know, or that, that sense of isolation. Yeah. So, yeah. Being a part of a conversation. Yeah. That's right. Just hearing a voice. Yeah. Or hearing like intimacy or, or, you know, I mean, what we want to do on this podcast is, is, do what we enjoyed, you know, at the beginning of the internet or what we enjoy, you know, in our lives, which is just like having really interesting conversations or delving into issues and, you know, or disagreeing. And, and, uh, yeah. I self-congratulate at this moment. I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this because I think who it is, will if you don't, <laughs> I, and I think, you know, anybody else who, who wants to get involved in this sort of thing is it's a good way you to, should have conversations and it's a good way to hear them and to engage in them. So I'm glad that it's happening actually, like just as a social movement, you know, Mm -hmm. me too. Yeah. 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 I definitely, I listen to them a lot in certain periods. I think in in kind of difficult emotional points of my life, I definitely turn to podcasts also turn to friends. Yeah. Thank you everyone who helped me analyze 
the text conversations of the last few months. If you're listening, <laughs> all my internet dating. <laughs> um, and thank you to the people that gave us some of their stories from their social social internet history. Yes, um, thank you very, very much. We want to inc include them in this episode and we might get some more. Um, yeah, so. indeed. Do social diary, social, social, diary. social history diary of the internet, I think is, is something we're gonna do okay I'm, i'm just gonna read this one sentence they had the book open by hit on top of this your face is getting disconnected not only from your butt but also from your voice and body i just think it's a great way to conclude today's program okay do we have anything else to impart no i'm excited to return to my body <laughs> yeah and to regular podcasting we will make a con concentrated effort to produce yes. a conversation on a weekly basis so please tune in or oh, follow us everywhere and please send us messages and share share the podcast with your friends use the internet or just play it for them if you're in their bodily <laughs> at presence at a dinner party at a dinner party mm. yes just really you know engage with it <laughs> Okay, well, next week we'll be, um, we'll be doing another podcast from another location mm. for me. And then I'll be back in L.A., so. Very good. I will remain in New York. Okay, come visit Staring out the window. I love staring at the window, <laughs> just like a cat. All right, well, over and out. Um, we will speak to you again, gently and sternly, alternating <laughs> next week. <laughs> Ciao, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.